Welcome back to another episode of Vikings Happy Hour presented to you by Lake Monster Brewing and That's Badass Wood Art. Remember to go check out that'sbadasswoodart.com and use promo code CTPOCKET for 20% off any one item. We got a great show for you here today. Uh, we have Thor Nystrom joining us, draft guru, all things college football, fantasy betting, I mean, literally everything. He, he knows a little bit about everything. So I'm very happy to have Thor on today. How are you doing, Thor? I'm doing great, man. Good to be with you. Always, always. So obviously, this is probably like the busiest week uh, leading up to the draft here for you the next uh, week and a half. Uh, really, really busy. So um, thank you so much for a little bit of the time today. Hoping that you can give our listeners a little bit of insight on some of the different prospects that we're likely going to be hearing next week, who you might think is going to be a good fit for us and, uh, and what route we might go or what route you want to go. And, uh, I'll probably provide a, I'll probably that. provide that's, a that, that's actually my alarm on my telephone. That's what I wake up to every morning, but yeah, sorry about that. I love it. I love it. <laughs> um, so yeah, so why, why don't we dive in? Um, so again, a lot to kind of go over, but the Vikings are in a kind of conundrum. The big one that's been a huge talking point over the last, you know, couple weeks has been the quarterback and mm. all the different quarterback prospects out there. I just saw you put out a tweet about 10 minutes ago that I absolutely <laughs> loved. Um, so why don't, why don't we talk quarterbacks first? What, what do you think the Vikings are thinking? What do you want them to do at quarterback? Oh, I, they're sniffing around the quarterback class. Like I, I was trying to think about the last last cycle where the Vikings, you know, n- not this admin- any, any of the previous administrations did this much work on the quarterback class. It, it's been a couple years, um, but this year they are. You know, th- this spring they they spent a lot of time doing homework on those quarterbacks, talking to all of them, visiting with them, et cetera. So, yeah, and and we have heard a lot of different reports, both specific to the Vikings and now. Uh, with regards to CJ Stroud, where if you start connecting some dots, uh, I, you know, it, it only takes a couple of things for CJ Stroud to start falling down the board. And I think that there's, it's a plausible scenario that the Vikings could get aggressive in making an offer for a slot where they could take them potentially. I just don't see how, I mean, I, again, me personally, I think, I don't know if you feel the same way. I have Stroud as my number one quarterback on the board. So the fact that there's talk of the Texans saying, you know, what, we're good when they, all they have is Davis Mills right now, obviously, you know, they have another first round pick. They'd probably take someone, but uh, just unfathomable to me that he would even slip past two. Yeah, I mean, he's my quarterback, too, but he's number two overall on my big board. So, yeah, I mean, if I was Houston, that would be a really quick uh, moment of turning in the card, you know, obviously assuming that Bryce Young goes number one or whatever. But um, a lot of the stories out there about C.J. Stroud right now are BS, like the Manning camp stuff and whatnot. The reason that he has fallen in the perception of the NFL is he bombed the S2 test. Like, had a really bad score. Um, you know, people made a really big deal out of Bryce Young acing that thing. CJ Stroud was on the opposite side of the spectrum. So that's like any of the other stuff out there about it. It's all BS. Like the, the Manning camp thing is irrelevant. Uh, there was a couple other things. I they, they were so meaningless that, you know, you toss them out of your mind or whatever. It's the S2 test. That's why this is happening. And and that basically like replaced the wonder like, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. has there been a quarterback in recent history S2 Wonderlick that has bombed that, but have gone on to have a successful career? Well, the S2 hasn't been used for very long, uh, number right. one. And number two, they don't release the results publicly. But one of my earlier tweets today was demanding the release of all the S2 scores. 
you, you only hear about them piecemeal if it's a if it's really good news for the guy or if it's really bad. Um, sure. And and that's why we have heard Bryce, you know, Bryce Young A's did and CJ Stroud did not. And, um, you know, just a couple other tidbits. But I would like them all released uh, publicly. We just don't have that yet. Sure, sure. So if we if we don't see, J, uh, see CJ Stroud um, take a fall, right? Say Texans go ahead and take him at two, the smart move. Um, Anthony Richardson, Will Levis, Hendon Hooker, that's kind of – well, I wouldn't even say Hendon Hooker and Will Levis. I think Anthony Richardson's the next tier, right? Um, do you see a potential fall there, or is he kind of a lock-in at four? Who are – what Anthony Richardson? Richardson. Yeah. Um, no, I, no, I don't. I don't think Richardson's going to go for uh, the Colts like Levis. So I mean, like oh. the the real question is is if Houston and Arizona stay in their slots and it gets to Indy, how much do they like Levis? Because that's when it would be Levis against Stroud ostensibly. Um, I know that Irsay loves he Irsay specifically. It's funny that this stuff about the Colts, like in like in Levis, is like started to come out publicly or whatever. Because I've been hearing for months that Irsay loves Levis, and now like you know it's it's like you know I don't know if there's other people in the building or if this is just you know other people hearing about Irsay liking him or whatever. But it'll be interesting to see if it's if CJ Stroud is on the board if people are gonna fight Irsay in the war room of being like, dude, we we have to take CJ Stroud here. Right. Right. Do you like Will Levis? No. I mean, like, you know, like, no, but like, you know, I have him as a late first round pick. He's my QB four. I agree with the way that you set that up of like, for me, it's, it's a, it's a drop in a tier after young and Stroud. And then to, to Richardson who I have number three on my board, just because mm-hmm. if, if, you know, yeah. I mean, like, I mean, overall I'm t- right. Oh, like, Oh, okay. Sure. Yeah, like because the the value of the position is such where if I like uh, the quarterback or if I I project him to be a good starter in the NFL, you have to put him at the top of the board, whatever. So so you know I I got him high, but Levis I'm gonna have you know in the twenties or something like that. Sure. Um, yeah. So but 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 anyway, the Colts seem to prefer that, and that would be great news to the team sitting at seven, uh, who I'm told loves Anthony Richardson. So they might be able to the Raiders I'm talking about might be able yeah. to just stand pat. And he falls right into their lap. But then you start to wonder, where is the team for Stroud? Like if the, so, so here's the scenario, you know, for, for, you know, Vikings fans out there wondering about the plausibility of the CJ Stroud scenario. I've been, as you can tell, I've been at the cork board quite a bit, you know, connecting the dots like Charlie <laughs> Day and, and yeah. always sunny or whatever. And then, you, oh, yeah, that's yeah, like you, you hear stuff and then you're, you start putting it together. You're like, oh man, like all the rumors. And then in conjunction with knowing the Vikings had talked to the 49ers about cousins at the combine and that they, those two teams have also talked about Trey Lance's offseason stuff like that. But the scenario is Houston stands pat and takes presumably Will Anderson. You know I mean? Like that's, there's been a lot of smoke about that. And then three, Arizona stuck there because the their their trade market, you know, reportedly they had gotten contacted by six teams about a trade. Like, I don't know, this came out a couple of weeks ago or whatever. But yeah. uh it will will see will well at least the perception if CJ Stroud's stock is falling uh as much as the you know has been put out there the past couple of days or whatever, will the trade market for Arizona dry up to the point where they don't feel like they have an acceptable offer to to move down or whatever because they don't need the quarterback of course but they have holes everywhere else and you're going to have blue chip defensive prospects still on the board even if will anderson's gone uh jalen carter would be in play there 
Tyree Wilson would be in play there. Certainly those two guys. Um, so, I mean, if they stand even pat, one of those corners, I mean, granted, you you don't want to take one of those corners over Carter, probably. But if they, they have a huge need at corner, so they they may say, hey, I really want Christian Gonzalez or or uh, Devin Witherspoon. And, and they won't be able to move down far and get Witherspoon, assuming that's their guy, because uh, Detroit likes Witherspoon. So yeah. like and, and Witherspoon is a Detroit kind of guy. And at least in my eyes, locked in CB1 with his 40 yard dash, which. Like his play speed is good. So I don't know why there was a ton of questions about this. I, I think because you had a wonky rec- recruiting process. It's it, it's funny how the, the recruiting stars and stuff like that follow the player like perceptually. But Witherspoon, had, he quit football like in seventh grade and he didn't play again until 11th grade because his mom like talked to him and was like, hey, would you try football again for me? Like, I'd love to watch you play in football. And so he's like, well, OK, sure. And so then he goes back out and, you know, his next year as a senior, he was like the, you know, county player of the year or whatever. But the recruiting service had just missed him because like right. anyone, anyone else in any other job, like you sort of do the work initially and then you get lazy with it. Witherspoon wouldn't have been on any in any of their spreadsheets like before that. And then, you know, because well, I'm playing and then like all of a sudden he, he bursts up, but everybody just missed it or whatever, except for Lovey Smith. Interestingly enough, he was the guy that offered that scholarship in the summer, like literally a month before the season was going to start, right. like late July of that year, um, uh, Witherspoon was going to go to a community college. But anyway, enough about Devin Witherspoon. Um, I like <laughs> I think, but but I do. I, lastly, I do think he he deserves to be talked about with the other elite defenders in this class. Like I mean, like I I'm not going to rank him, you know, above Will Anderson or Jalen Carter. But for me, he ain't far off from that. The tape last year was dominant and. You know, I mean, like he's 180, whatever, 184, 103, something like that. But like the the athletic package, it's sufficient to, to for his game or whatever. He's going to be a fabulous NFL cornerback. And the mentality, right? Like the mentality. Just, I mean, he's got a dog in him for sure. So you you love a corner that not only can cover, that's probably the best part of his game. But and then it's hard to ignore his run support and his ability to get up uh, at, on the line and, and make those plays. Yeah, so Withers, Witherspoon shows up to Illinois in August when they had already started training camp for that season. You know, like they offered him in, in late July. And, the you know, one of the reasons this happened is because he didn't academically qualify with his initial test. So he had actually moved – Witherspoon is from Florida. He had moved from Florida to the middle of Kansas to go to that Hutchinson Community College because he thought he wasn't going to academically qualify. The day after he gets to Hutchinson, is like unpacking his, his stuff or whatever, he gets the notification that his SAT score has qualified him, where, where now he's going to wow. academically qualify at any FBS program. And there was like five or six uh, G5 programs that had been passively monitoring it, who still had an open scholarship, who immediately offered him. And then he's like thinking about this for like a week of like, okay, do I, do I stay at Hutchinson or do I go to one of these G5 places? And then Illinois swoops in with an offer. So he, he was like done. Like he, cause Witherspoon, yeah. he was, he was always crazy confident in himself. And he's like, I'm a, a power five player, whatever, which is the reason why he might've stayed at Hutchinson for one year to prove it and, and then jump up to a power five school. But anyhow, then he, so like, you know, it took him a couple of weeks, whatever, get all of his stuff, find travel arrangements. He gets to Illinois early August of that year, shows up 150 pounds. And like, he, he has said this in numerous stories that like, he walks into the building and the other football players, like, he, I, I guess he got confused for a student manager. And then like the player, 
the players when they knew he was on the roster were like making fun of like the the size thing they were cracking jokes and stuff but right when they seen him start practicing that stopped and illinois was going to redshirt him because this is a guy that nobody else offered scholarships no no other power fives and even the g5 ones it it waited until the academic stuff was resolved whatnot and he 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 was 150 pounds like you needed to put him in the weight room or whatever but he was so good in practices that they were like, we need him on the active roster. And the crazy thing is he didn't start his first year, but he was on the field his first year. And, and he had one of those like legend making moments. I, it was like the sixth game of their season, something like that. That first year they played Wisconsin in October and he chased down. I think it was Kendrick Pryor from behind. Illinois was a 31, or I'm sorry, not Illinois. Wisconsin was a 31 and a half point favorite. This one, Illinois sucked. And I think this was Jonathan Taylor. Yeah, it was. It was Jonathan Taylor's last year with Wisconsin. Well, anyway, um, Illinois kept it reasonably close. It was only a touchdown game, like early in the fourth quarter. Kendrick Pryor gets the ball, breakaway to the end zone. Witherspoon chases him down, tackles him at the three. Illinois' defense is all jacked up now. They do a goal line stand, force Illinois to settle for a field goal. So instead of it being a 14-point game, it was a 10-point game. Illinois rallies back to win on a walk-off field goal. And so, like, after that, Illinois fans were like, oh, my God, this guy, you know, like, legend. And then Lovey Smith Saved the comes- game. Exactly. Yeah. He literally flipped the outcome of the game by chasing down Kendrick Pryor. Like, Wisconsin wins that game if he doesn't. It, it just is what All it is. effort right there, yeah. I love exactly. That. Yeah, and, and the next year, he won the starting job, uh, corner one of the cor- starting cornerback jobs coming out of camp. Lovey Smith told reporters, like, early that fall, something like that, that Witherspoon is pound for pound the toughest guy on the team, which it's like, in hindsight, it's like, yeah. But, like, at the time, it's like, holy, like, this this former NFL coach is – like he he says a lot of nice shit about about can I I don't know if I can swear. Um, yeah, you're good. Okay, uh, a lot of nice shit about Devin Witherspoon to reporters. You know, like very complimentary. And Lovey Smith is obviously a defensive guru, like in the NFL, whatever. That that's where he made his you know he's made his bones or whatever. So like that was sort of eye opening. And then Witherspoon just got better and better and better, uh, attacking player downhill. Like you mentioned the feistiness, he doesn't. To him, it's not a thing what his size is because he's been, you know, his first year when he came back for football, when he was a junior in high school, he won the safety job that year coming out of, of the high school training camp. And so his ethos, it's always been attack, attack, attack downhill. He sort of plays that portion of the game like a safety, even at his frame, right? Like, I mean, you don't see cornerbacks that are that size that crash down like that and just throw their body around like a projectile. Um, and, and so like you, you have that stuff and then just so damn sticky in coverage like last year. So, you know, people will toss out the stats with him. It's actually even kind of crazier than just the road stats itself. Like if you see the PFF, I, I believe the stat is, is that the uh, opposing court NFL quarterback rating allowed last year by Devin Witherspoon on its targets was lower than what the NFL quarterback rating is for an incompletion. Uh, but it, it's, it's even crazier because Witherspoon actually did not play well in the Indiana game in week two. He got burned once and he ends up giving up like six catches for like a hundred. I think it was a hundred and I'm doing this for memory, but 103 yards or 106 yards. It was something like that. Well, anyway, over the next 10 games, it's as dominant a stretch by a college corner that you're ever going to see. I, I think it was 103 yards d- during the Indiana game. Next 10 games, he gave up exactly. 103 yards combined yeah. over those 10 games. Like he was like, uh-uh, like that, that's it. He he went to another level at that point. And 
um, just an all around game and everything like that. So for me, that one is not a debate. I debate some of the other positions and stuff like that. Who's going to be at sure. the top cornerback one for me. That was an easy one. So five, six minute rant on Devin Witherspoon. Had who's definitely out of range for the Vikings, but it's all relevant because that's another guy who's going to push one of these quarterbacks down the, you know, down the list here for the Vikings to potentially go grab one. Let's say, you know, we, we talked a lot about quarter quarterback already. Um, obviously the hot name is Hennon Hooker. I know you're not a big fan. Um, so let's, let's move past that because honestly at 23, I'm just not sure. Right. I, I don't think that that would be a wise move. Maybe it is, maybe it's not. I, I like him more than most. Right. But I still don't think I like him at 23. So if we're not there at quarterback, Stroud gets taken, AR gets taken, Levis is gone. We don't want to go hooker route. What do we do? What What are you looking to do? Obviously, trade back scenario is ideal, right? Because of the, we need picks. We have five picks. But who are some of those guys at positions of need and or best available that you think that could really strike well for the Vikings uh, as we do this competitive rebuild? Like at the 23rd slot? Either at 23 or if we do a small trade back to like the, the end of the first, plus we maybe pick up like a like a third round pick at that point. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, later in the first, you know, in the 20s or whatever, you're the, the guys I think that are fits for the or the positions, at least for me, it's wide receiver and cornerback. I've been on the wide receiver uh, band, wide receiver, take take the wide receiver to the Jefferson bandwagon all process. Um, I think it's going to depend on which one gets down to them. Right. Like Jackson Smith and Jigba, they're a team. Lance Zierlein said this yesterday, but the, on Twitter, but this is, you know, I mean, like this is just the book on it. The, the team see Jackson Smith, it, some teams see Jackson Smith and Jigba as a slot only, which of course, like, you know, that's what he did at Ohio State, whatever. Um, I guess the implication is there are some teams that believe he can play outside uh, and, and certainly some evaluators that believe that whatnot. But like for the Vikings, after they signed Josh Oliver to go with TJ Hawkinson, they're going to be in 12 personnel regularly. So the guy they take has to play on the outside. Right. And, and so Jackson Smith and Jigba, maybe not quite as clean a fit, although, Interestingly enough, I've changed my my Jack Smith and Jigba comp to Adam Thielen, so maybe I'm, I'm contradicting myself in, in in the same paragraph. But I uh, uh, the the receivers that I think are better fits for the Vikings, just right out of the box, would be Zay Flowers, who I I think I've mocked to the Vikings more than any other individual player during during you know this draft Big process. Fans. Yeah, like you you want a guy that's going to beat single coverage. Nobody could stay with Zay Flowers in space. And he's he's a smaller receiver, but he has proven that he can play on the outside. He his offense plays big though. He plays big. Yeah, and he goes downfield and he gets it right. Like he has ball skills downfield. Certainly is a killer short and intermediate. And the intermediate thing is where you just can't stay with with the joystick agility thing with him. He also gets off the line outside even when they tried to press him in the ACC because his footwork is so sudden and so unpredictable. Right. It's like it's like trying to catch like a, a gust of wind in your hand when he's coming off the line or whatever. And then, you know, he can do all this stuff, like I said, short and intermediate, but he can also uh, take the top off, go deep and actually reel those balls in. Like there's only a couple smaller receivers in this class that can do it. One of the other ones, the names that jumps right to the top of my mind is your boy, who I'm yep. sure we're going to talk about in a little bit. Uh, Mr. Mims, but yeah, like Zay Flowers has proven that he can win on the outside. Uh, the other option, or two other options, I suppose, uh, Quentin Johnson would probably be the number two guy that I've mocked to the Vikings most of this process. The 
we'll have to see on that one because Quentin Johnson wanted to go to the NFL draft and he didn't get invited. And the other top four consensus, or I'm sorry, three of the other top, the other three of the top four consensus receivers, they were all invited. So, I mean, like that doesn't mean everything, right? Like, I mean, Matt Corral was invited last year. Malik Willis was invited last year. There are guys that get invited that fall down and, and vice of guys that don't get invited that end up getting taken, you know, decently high, whatnot. But at least that's one indication from the NFL that the NFL believes there is a real possibility that Quentin Johnson falls out of the first round or else he would not be there. Right. Um, and, and so like that, we'll have to see on, I think he would be a perfect compliment for Jefferson because even like people say he's raw or, you know, like whatever, he has a trump card of going downfield and winning. Uh, he, he Quentin Johnson has a, has a wingspan of like six, eight or six, nine or whatever, and a vertical over 40 inches. And he does go, when he goes up, he can get higher than anyone and he extends for the ball downfield. He has some other catch point issues on the freebies, which uh, I, I had this supposition was, was like, you know, people would say, Oh, he's a body catcher. No, he's not. Uh, they're telling on themselves by saying that. Cause you've seen too many times on his film where he goes up and, and, and it fully extends where, you know, he he's running downfield and, and Dugan tries a bucket throw and he fully extends out where uh, it's an errant throw and he has to go outside the frame and he spears it or whatever. What I noticed on his film was it was always when his feet were set on, like I said, a freebie, like, you know, intermediate uh, type pass or whatever. And, he, you know, he had a couple of, you know, yards of separation or whatever. Maybe he, uh, you know, uh, slammed on the brakes and then he came back and it was a free throw for Dugan. That's when you'd see some of these bad drops where he would let it get into his frame and the more I watched him, I'm like, it's not because he's a body catcher, not because he has bad hands. We've seen otherwise. It's because he's thinking about the run after the catch. And he's very good running after the catch, like in terms of like all the metrics of broken tackles for us and, and everything like that in the receiver yeah. class. Um, and and, and you that see was, NFL players do that, like, right? I mean, that happens in the NFL on a regular basis where you yeah, catch sure. them turning their head just a little early and they didn't reel it in, right? Exactly. Yeah. And that, you know, that's something that the receiver coaches talk to you about and whatnot, but like, you know, guys that are gifted after the, it's funny, Sam Laporta of Iowa, he has this, this issue, but on a much smaller scale, but you'll also see him flub a, a freebie because he's already sort of starting to turn his body, whatnot, or took the eye off the ball. Cause he, he wants to start that turn. Um, and, and so anyway, that was my supposition about Johnson that explained uh, both the concentration uh, drops, whatever on his, because he, he's around ten percent career drop rate, and then also the uh, the body catching thing. It's funny. Uh, a couple weeks after that, CBS Sports put out a story where they quoted Quentin Johnson's receiver coach, and he said almost verbatim what I just said. He's like, Quentin right. don't have a problem uh, extending. Quentin don't have a problem with his hands. It's that his eyes leave the ball early because he's already thinking about turning around with his run after the catch thing. So I, I thought that was interesting. The, the whole point being you can fix that stuff, right? Like yeah. I don't think he's ever going to run a full route tree because he's really good at a couple specific ones with, with the size speed athleticism thing. And then, you know, running after the catch, or you, you can also just have him on the end arounds. TCU did this sometimes where, where, you know, you can use them a little bit in the run game. I ain't going to say he's uh he Debo or whatever, but he shares a lot of similarities to Brandon Ayuk plus what through two inches, three inches, like, you know, he, a taller Brandon Ayuk. Yeah. Um, so anyway, the whole point being, some what's of these interesting about him, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Uh, what, what's interesting about him is I've he heard a lot of like comparisons. You know, we've had a lot of people on the show come talk what wide receivers, obviously, right. It's a huge need. 
you're one mind that I respect a lot because you and I typically see eye, eye to eye on a lot of prospects. I hear Brandon Ayuk with with two, three more inches, right? I heard somebody almost, I would almost say it's disrespectfully, comparing to LaVisca Chenault. And I'm like, He's okay. So, for sure. so that's probably the floor for, for Quentin Johnston, right? Where Ayuk's probably not ceiling, but, you know, maybe probable expectation that you see in him. Would that be a fair comparison? No, I mean, like it's, it's fair. It's a fair analogy uh, analogous for the run after the catch for sure. Cause they, they run very similar with with the head of steam and they get more power behind them than you would think because they start hurtling downfield or whatever. But I, I I don't get that one outside of that because LaVisca Chanel at Colorado they would manufacture all the touches for him close to the line of scrimmage. Like the, the whole big, you know, thing about him coming out, it was, can he ever learn how to win with his routes, you know, with, with the quick break and stuff and, and become a nuanced route runner intermediate. And then can he win downfield uh, Colorado? Cause they were such a crappy team. They, they just manufactured all these touch for him. Cause they were like, LaVisca, like you need to help us win games. Cause we can't otherwise or whatever um, with Quentin Johnston, his a dot was absurd at TCU because it was the opposite usage. They were sending him downfield quite a bit and then, you know, having him win downfield, whatever. So, I mean, outside of that, like the run after the catch, yes, that is very close. In fact, my um, my colleague, uh, Derek Brown at Fantasy Pros, a couple months ago when, when he wrote up Quentin Johnson, he called him uh, – I, I oh, what was the other one? It, it was – it was like this – his comp was like a Frankenstein of LaVisca Chenault's running after the catch and I forget the other receiver that he, he paired with it or whatever, but Brandon Ayuk – most closely resembles both of those things put together and the uh, athletic testing package and everything else is very close outside of just adding those couple inches to LaVisca Chanel, including having the long arms, like the whole deal. Yeah. He ran a little faster than I thought he was going to. So that kind of stabilized on my top 10 board that kind of stabilized him from a bigger fall than I was expecting Um, just because on tape, he doesn't look super, super fast, but he looks like he can, like he doesn't have the breakaway speed, but I think, you know, at least based on testing numbers, he ran a little faster than his tape maybe had suggested. So. Interestingly, like I, I actually think the opposite. I, I think he does look fast on, on film in terms of getting downfield. I think his bigger problem is it, it's the nuance with the route running stuff and it just, it doesn't have to just do with like altering the tempo and like different stuff like that. He, he, he needs to be taught how to stack cornerbacks when he's got them dead to rights, like different stuff. Like, you know, just like the, the nuance stuff, like there, there's more rawness on some of the, you know, rough edges of his game than the other top guys. It, it's just like his fastball. He throws it way harder than any other receiver prospect in this class. Now it's funny. Uh, he was on uh, Bruce Feldman's last free clips or whatever. Feldman actually said that he had confirmed four fours in the past. He was a track freak in high school. Um, he, he didn't quite get there. I, I think the final one at the pro day was what was it? Four or five flat. Something like that. I think it was, I think it was four, four, nine, four, four, nine. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I think that's what I saw. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, and it was interesting too. the, um, when the, when the sports books dropped the uh, uh, combine props, like Quentin Johnson didn't end up running. Uh, he deferred to the pro day, but like, they dropped the lines, obviously, like the week before or whatever. They had Quentin Johnson at 4-4 flat. Now, the market did correctly bet that up to 4-4-4, four, 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 
but that's what it, it was available at, like going into the receiver testing day, you know, when, when they started to come out that he wasn't going to run or whatever. But yeah, I mean, like, uh, you know, you want to, with him, it's, you can consider it a dice. I guess this is, you know, uh, uh, long story short, you can consider him like a dice roll and a play on potential. But I think that his floor has been undersold because even if he doesn't develop the route stuff, and even if he keeps having sort of that frustrating habit of sometimes thinking about the, the run after the catch on the freebie stuff before the catch point, he is going to be, in my opinion, at least like a guy like the DJ shark fella or somebody like that, where, on the outside, they they force the defense back because he's always yeah. going to be able to win downfield. Like right. he can get he can get higher than you. He could get better at it by you know things like you know again like when he has a step or two on the corner stacking them different stuff like that. Um, he could certainly get better at it. But like th- that thing is going to play at the next level. The question is the other stuff. Um, but like I think at minimum he's a solid NFL wide receiver too that that pops the top of the defense and. You, he's the only receiver in this class that has the potential to be like a legit, legit star, like a top 10 receiver in the NFL, in my opinion. I don't think Jackson Smith and Jig, I, Jackson Smith and Jigba has the highest floor by far in, in this receiver class, but I don't think his ceiling is like, you know, the number eight receiver in the NFL. I could, I could end up being proven wrong for sure. But um, like, I, you know, I think Jackson Smith and Jigba, his ceiling is more like the 20th best receiver in the NFL, whatever. Right. Yeah. I, I think I could see Smith and Jigba getting up to that point, but it's not going to be sexy. Right. It's going to be the it's going to be the route of a Cooper Cup. Right. Where and again, I, I'm not trying to compare the two apples to apples here or anything like that, but just saying it's not it doesn't always look sexy. It's going to be a lot of a lot of catches and it's going to be a chain mover mentality and, and maybe break one away here and there, um, and, you know, because he does have a pretty good contact balance. Smith and Jigba does not as sure. not as great as I'd hope, but you know, for a receiver, it's pretty solid. So, um, all right. So we, we talked top receivers and actually just real quick, just interested and in, in we can try to do this quickly. If you had to rank your top five receivers right now, how would you rank them right now? Let me pull up my sheet. I mean, I know Johnson first uh, Smith and Jigba is second. Flowers. Oh, actually, I can do it from memory. Flowers third, Addison fourth, and I think Mims is fifth. Like I, I, I really like Love Marvin it. Mims. Mims is not in the top five. But you look around like the other lists in the industry, but I don't really get why, to be honest. Like, and and I'm I know I'm preaching to the choir here, but maybe let me uh, maybe do a few bars for for the audience at home. Marvin Mims still to this day holds the all time Texas prep record for receiving yards by a wide receiver, like still, right? Like, and, and you know how awesome Texas high school football is. He, he he did that. Then he goes to Oklahoma, was a star as a freshman, immediately got on the field for one of the better offensive coaches that we have been caught, that we've ever had in college football in Lincoln Riley. And then the, the so like he was destined for greatness. Unfortunately, the last two years, circumstances went hardcore against him. In 2021, it was Spencer Rattler was in the tank for most of the regular season. Then they eventually pulled the, the plug on him for, for Caleb Williams. True, you know, it's Caleb Williams, yeah, but he was a true freshman coming in and was his first start against Kansas that year in November. Maybe it was the game before that, but like it was the, you know, it was the game after Texas. I remember that. Okay, yeah. Like I mean it, it was the like, Texas game and led that 
massive comeback. Marvin Mims has two touchdowns that game. I think the first two of the he year. He was happy for to him. be rid of Spencer Rattler, I think, oh, at that point. Sure. I don't know what yeah. happened to Spencer at the beginning of that year. But then you also had Lincoln Riley clearly had one foot out the door. There was all the rumors that he was, you know, negotiating with LSU during the year. Ends up taking that, the, you know, a similar contact, contract to what Brian Kelly got at LSU at USC. But then the, the next year, because of that, because uh, Lincoln left and then he took uh, Caleb Williams with him, Last year, you had Brent Venables, uh, pure defensive coach at Clemson, and they just did not get the offense up and running quick enough. I mean, it was like Dylan Gabriel's yeah. an okay quarterback, but like the offense lacked continuity. It was a bunch of these guys coming together, playing in this new system. A lot of them, you know, there were several guys, new, uh, first-time starters, whatever. It was not a great environment for for like a special receiver like Mims, whatever. But anyway. And he, I, like, he still showed out too. I mean, like I think it was like 1,100 or so yards and on, on like – 50 some or 60 some catches average 20, 20 yards per catch. Uh, but what I loved actually about the transition was in Lincoln Riley's offense. He was, he didn't have as much creativity or freedom to do things downfield as much. Now, obviously he's still got downfield in that offense, but uh, even like intermediate, he was able to do more in Jeff Webby's offense in, in that realm, which I think showcased a little bit more of his versatility to the NFL teams. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, th that was important because, you know, like, you know, like we were talking about with flowers, I, I think Mims even more so like Mims is absolutely a proven down downfield killer. He, if, if you were just to stack up like the best, you know, five or best 10 catches of every receiver in this class. And then you ask the public to vote on which one is the most impressive Marvin Mims would destroy that poll. Like he probably he, has three of the top five. <laughs> yeah. No, like, yeah. like for real, um, yeah. like, and, and like the um, th there's, well, I, I know two of them for sure would be at the top. Cause I didn't see nastier catches in this one. Was it against, uh, was it against Texas? That one downfield where I still don't know how he swept that one foot in with the sideline right near the goal line. I think that was the Texas. That game. was Texas two years ago. He, yeah. Uh, yeah. He, well actually, and that's an NFL catch. So he got the knee down and, and for good measure, he actually got his elbow down before he went out of bounds too in the corner, the front corner of the end zone. That's one where like, it looks like a glitch when you're watching it. Like I've yeah. watched that catch 10,000 times and I still don't know how he got, how he caught the ball and then got both, you know, he was able to whatever um, they do the, for, there's one of the angles where you can see him sweeping the foot around and, and like, it's literally like a glitch, like his, his feet have eyes and they know exactly where the sideline is or whatever. And then the yeah. other one I'm thinking of, I mean, you could toss out a bunch, but like the other one that to me was like, what the F is like a Neo catch. Like I said, for the matrix was, yeah. I believe this was against Texas tech, but uh, you know, you watch so much of these cutoffs, you, everything starts blending, but I think it was Texas tech. But anyway, the, the, pa it was an errant pass. It goes behind the defender. I don't know how Mim saw the ball. I certainly don't know how he caught it because he sticks out one hand behind the defender and yep. somehow spears the ball out of the air. Like that is, it's like a pool shot by like a, like a pool master, like the best pool shark in the world where it's like, what the F just happened? You know, the balls ricochet and all the balls are going in or whatever. It's like, what is this? Um, yeah. Yeah. That know, was against tech, by the way. Against tech. Yeah. Yep, yeah. Yep, yeah. 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 Um, like the, the downfield stuff. So he's really interesting in that in his size package, his usage at Oklahoma, you were sort of alluding to this all three seasons. He was on campus 
35% or more of his targets came 20 plus yards downfield. You don't see that a ton from, from receivers that size, but again, awesome ball skills, the nastiest catches you'll ever see confirm the athleticism during the pre-draft process. He's a really good athlete. The one question, and, and you did well to set this up, it's in the intermediate area just because he was so good at that trick that that happened quite a bit. But, like, I'm not as concerned about that. I mean, obviously, as as indicated by my ranking, I'm not nearly as concerned about that as, as other people, that less of the usage came in that area than analogous receivers because I've seen him win in, in the intermediate area before, and he proved the the concept of his agility, I think, his agility scores were like 75th percentile, which is yep. more than enough. That, that kid can move. We, yep. We've seen that on the field or whatever. So, yeah, I mean, some of the route running stuff in, you know, short, specifically intermediate, he, you know, it's going to have to be worked on more just because it wasn't as much at Oklahoma. But that kid is super talented. Well, and what one of the sneaky grid things about his game that people don't realize uh, that makes him a really, really good fit here. Not only the downfield speed, right? Uh, open up things, hopefully for, for Justin Jefferson to not constantly get double teamed with the safety over top is his ability to block. He is a feisty little blocker out there. <laughs> Again, I know we have alluded to his, his size, right? He's like 5'10", 5, 5'11", 5, 180 some pounds. Like he's, he's not a big guy, but you watch the run game for Oklahoma and he's downfield blocking and he's not, not just as he like putting an attempt out there, he's actually moving people and, and creating, creating uh, you know opportunities downfield. So, um, all right. So we, we gone through uh, receivers, by the way, he's my number three receiver on my top five or a top five list. So I love it. I love a it. A little bias maybe, but also uh, yeah, I, think I, was just I think he's to- earned it. I was I was looking up to add context to what you were saying last year. You know, amongst my top uh, five receivers that, that I just mentioned that list, he was number two in PFF run blocking grade. So just a quantifiable uh, metric to add to that. Oh, there you go. Yeah, I, I didn't even know that he was number two. That's amazing. Um, all right. So we, we've gone through quarterbacks. We've gone through receivers. We've eaten up a ton of time. I know you're really busy, man, so I don't want to take up too much more. So we're going to just end with this. Can you walk uh, our listeners through maybe – your top five favorite deep sleepers or like mid round sleepers that you think the Vikings should be targeting with, you know, maybe 119, 158, and 211. Those those kind of picks. Yeah, the the top one, I guess, uh, in terms of offensive skill guys would be Evan Hall, who Vikings fans will learn to love because he from Maple Grove. He was a track star in high school. He goes to Northwestern. He he already knows how to wear purple. He looks good in purple, but um, he, Evan Hall underrated for other reasons than, than Marvin Mims, you know, the perception of Marvin Mims, it was more like regression, but it's like, he's actually not regressing. He's just in bad circumstances. Evan Hall, just, he was in bad circumstances the whole time. Northwestern went one and 11 last year. They only had one other good player on offense, Peter Skaronsky, who everybody knows about, but the other nine starters were not good. And so Evan Hall did not have the running lanes that a lot of other running backs in this class did, but he is the most versatile receiving weapon in this class by the stats uh, percentage of snaps in the slot percentage of snaps on the boundary receiving yards receptions, a dot for the running back class, like everything like that. He runs smooth routes, no matter where he is deployed, he has soft hands and a really good feel for bodies in space after that. Like he's really, you know, like I, I mentioned the yards at the catch thing, whatever. And I also think he is an underrated runner. 
just because of the circumstances he was in constantly confronted by guys crashing through the line, like right after he got the ball and he got really good about sensing that and then developing the alternate plan immediately. He has really good agility, surprising agility. Like he's one of those guys who bounce, 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 and he can make people miss like that and changes his running path, whatever good acceleration. And some were questioning his speed coming into the process, which was ridiculous. If you knew that he was a track star back in the day, whatever, um, I, I I think the reason for this, well, there's two reasons for this. I'm not going to say one of them, uh, but but the other one is on tape. You don't see him galloping in the open field often, but that's because of the circumstance of the Northwestern offense. Like, you know, it, it just was what it was. But anyway, I, I, I you know, the receiving utility speaks for itself. Um, the, the, the athletic package, he proved the concept of and above and beyond what anyone's expectations were. I think he was. And like 92nd percentile over here in a second, 93rd percentile size adjusted athlete and a rocked up kid too. So like there's not many 93rd percentile running backs in this class that were over 205 pounds. He's 209 pounds, 93rd percentile athlete. And like I said, the other stuff speaks for itself. He is being crazy slept on uh, during this process. And the other thing I'll say is I have heard, that the Vikings have provisionally worked out uh, trade terms with an AFC team to trade Delvin Cook, but that they're not going to consummate it until after June 1st because the cap savings on a trade now, a Delvin, I think, again, from memory, I think it's 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 either slightly under eight or slightly under seven of what they would save if they trade him right now. If you wait until after June 1st, it, it goes up to $11 million in cap that, that you save. That's super important for the Vikings because right now I think they only have 1.2 or 1.4, like something like that million. They can't even sign their first round pick with the cat space they have now. So every million dollars of it counts. Um, But anyway, obviously with the idea that Delvin is going to be moved, maybe not this weekend, but maybe after June 1st, going to be moved. You need another running back, right? Because you have Madison, you have Chandler, and Wangu is going to be on the roster either way. You could use a guy to mix in there with Chandler and uh, uh, Alexander Madison. Evan Hall would be a very good fit next to those guys as like this movable chess piece uh, type fella. He's uh, I think he's one of Vikings happy hours guys. Uh, yeah, I, I know Miles loves him. I like him a lot. Uh, you know, one of the, you know, you watch the combine and you just kind of notice certain things. Every carry he had, he took to the house. Doesn't matter if the drill was oh yeah 10 yards away or if it was 60 he did that yards at the away. senior ball too yep, yeah yep and so you, you watch him just doing that and i'm like again not that like that should make or break somebody's evaluation of a guy Coach but again, just, Scouts just like another added thing right Daniel like Jeremiah, added thing. He's notice. Yep, yeah they did well yeah. i remember i remember them talking about it too so I, I i love that i love that first sleeper there who else you got um, any specific position? I got sleepers that ever just, or, you, just know. you know, whatever, whoever you like for the Vikings. Well, you know, you know, our positional needs D tackle, um, will potentially need an edge rusher. Um, safety is a sneaky need at some point. Um, linebacker, I mean, there's a lot, yeah. At, at receiver, obviously, that's one like if they don't end up taking one in, in the first round or whatever. I think uh, Puka Nakua is another guy that we've seen down in Mobile. Matt and Miles are down in Mobile with us, and, and and he was a guy that impressed all of us. Puka Nakua can do a whole bunch of stuff. He tested a little bit disappointingly at was 52nd percentile athlete, but he proved he can win on the outside at BYU, and he has a very diversified skill set. 
Um, he's one of the better running receivers in this class. In fact, the reason he, he missed a bunch of time last season was because they gave him two end arounds in the first quarter against South Florida, and he ran both of them to the house. And then BYU's coaching staff got greedy and did it a third time. And South Florida's defense is like, uh, we, we've seen this twice. We ain't letting that happen again. Swarmed him, and, the, and then he got injured, and then he was out for you know however many weeks it was. But every time Puka Nakua is on the field, Jaron Hall looks okay, you know, look passable. Right. Like, looks like a guy that could get in the NFL. Every time Puka Nakua is not on the field, it's like, oh, boy, I, I don't know about this Jaron <laughs> Hall fella. Um, so I, I like Nakua, again, like in a well-built receiver, too. He, he weighed in at uh, – are measured in just a, a shade under six two and two and two hundred one pounds. Um, he he would be one uh, at, at the receiver position. I'm I'm looking through the other ones where where I'm at. Uh, the interior defensive line. The Vikings. What they need there. It's a nose tackle, right? Like the right now the projected starter, I believe, is uh, Tonga. Going back to BYU. Um, like and and I don't know that you know in the first round there there ain't even like a, a pure nose tackle that you know like that fits the slot there whatever but there's a couple interesting ones late and and a couple ones that i think are you know at their price point are going to be you know like solid values but not only that you can at the very least platoon them with 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 tonga right away um i really like jared clark from coastal carolina he has ludicrous dimensions he's uh uh six three and a quarter and measured in at 334 might have lost a little bit of weight before the combine for the testing. Uh, he plays at over 340. But here's the, the crazy thing about Jared Clark. His wingspan is a legitimate 82 inches, um, which is one of the longer ones, like in the interior class. Siaki Ika, the Baylor kid who's like an analogous nose tackle type type guy who's going to go higher, his wingspan is under 76 inches. It's like, you know, 75 plus or whatever. Kind of interesting, like like an yeah. enormous wide body guy in in the interior with that enormous wingspan, and he was better than like you know I mean people just didn't see him Jared Clark because he was at Coastal Ryan I know you did at least for one game remember we went to Buffalo Wild Wings and I kept asking yep. the waiter put on the Coastal Carolina game put on the Coastal Carolina game I I I lost money that night in the Coastal Carolina game but uh, Jared Clark does damage uh, his PFF grade last year's uh, seventy nine flat posted pressure rate di- different stuff like that was, was really solid he'd be a guy to look at broderick martin would be another one i toss out that's who i was gonna say broderick martin Western i like Kentucky. him too yeah i i asked uh i asked eric galco the um the C- uh not the C- the shrine game uh I, I don't even know what his title is ceo or head honcho or czar however you want to say it but i asked him about um I wanted to know about what NFL teams were saying about uh, the Colburn kid from Texas and then Broderick Martin and like specifically about Broderick Martin, because more people know about Colburn Colburn's going to go higher. And and he was like, the NFL likes Broderick Martin. Um, So like, but like, he's going to go on day three. Um, But you know, he's another guy that has ridiculous physical dimensions. I'm I'm, I'm grabbing it right now. He, he did not go to the combine, uh, which is probably a mistake by the NFL. They, They make a couple every year. Broderick Martin's even taller than than Clark, almost six five, weighed in at three thirty. But again, he he gonna play heavier than that in the NFL. He only had a twenty first percentile size adjusted athletic score. Um, Jared Clark actually, this is one of the reasons I like Clark more was fifty second. And Jared wow. Clark, the 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 drills that he excelled at, they directly translate to success in the NFL. Like the the agility stuff, whatnot. I don't I don't give a crap what a nose tackle runs a forty in. He right. just tossed it out. They, they ain't never going to be running a straight line 40 yards in the NFL. 
Um, but uh, uh, going back to uh, uh, Broderick Martin, he he has that enormous package. And we were talking about wingspan and Jared Clark, how how impressive that is on a player that size. Get a load of Broderick Martin's wingspan. It's 83 plus inches. Uh, 83 and a little bit over a quarter. I, you know, 80 on my sheet, it says 83.28. Uh, but, uh, I mean, that's, that's crazy. Not quite as athletic, like I said, as Jared Clark, but that enormous dimensions, the, again, he, he went to the shrine game, the NFL likes him. Uh, I do know. So he is going to be picked somewhere middle of day three, whatever. So that'd be one for that. Um, I'll toss out a, a corner. Oh, People are going to love this one. I My favorite cornerback sleeper is a local kid, Terrell Smith from the Gophers. Well, there you it, go. It, it was really interesting. Like, you know, like we, you know, you do this job, like your Aprils are ridiculous, but then your May and June, it's like you're on like summer break, like a teacher, right? Like, and then in July, I got to, I got to get nasty with the college football stuff again, the pre stuff, whatnot. But in May and June, that's when you'll get texts or DMs or like, you know, get contacted some by NFL agents that are like, specifically with guys in this area that'll be like, Hey, do you like a couple years ago is, Hey, do you, do you happen to have Daniel Falele's phone number? I was like, no, the guy's not even on Facebook. Like I'm not texting Daniel Falele. Um, I got contacted by three different NFL agents last May or between May and June about, do you have Terrell Smith's contact information? And I, I, like, I was like, Terrell Smith, why are they asking about Terrell? Like it was really random, right? right? Like Terrell Smith up in, you know, like prior to the, this past season was not good. Uh, he was a good athlete. Yeah. But like on the field was, was not very good. So I was like, why are they interested in that guy? Like I, you know, no, no shade, but I, I like, I was like, are this is just, are you just making the logical leap of like the light will turn on the light turned on last oh, year. Yeah. So, so like, the, like the, they were on it. Uh, the, the agents, the NFL, the, they were monitoring that kid and he effing showed out last year. Um, people are sleeping on that kid, like because they're going more off the grade previous to last season. You put like if you were to combine like the athletic profile of the cornerback class with their tape last year, he might be a top five corner in this entire class. Like the the dimension, so he comes in, measures six foot and a half an inch, two hundred and four pounds. His size adjusted athletics uh, composite eighty seven percentile, and last year. His PFF grade, 80.9. He was uh, good on the pass rush and his limited snap doing that. He supported the run, was one of the better uh, cornerbacks in this class at helping in the run. And his coverage grade shot up. Like, he finally figured it out on the outside is the whole point. Like, every game, yeah. every aspect of his game jumped up, whatever. It, with him, the equation becomes like, you know, he's a one-year wonder, right? Like, and it's like, is was any of that smoke and mirrors? What? But I don't think it was. Like, it's all on tape from last year. Like I said, if you only knew about last year and you did not know the context of before, and, and you were just doing that with all the guys in the class and then putting that with, with, with their athletic profile, you would have them even higher than I have them now. Like, right. I, I, I had to bake some of this stuff in from before because I like it when they've done it over years or you see the, the consistent developmental curve. With him, it was like struggle, 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 stuff. Right. Um, but but the the thing the stuff I was getting contacted about and 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 the things that you heard about him beforehand, like um that stuff um assuages some of my concerns about him. Uh I have Terrell sometimes it just takes a little bit of time for that light bulb to click, you know. I mean sure. sometimes it does does, you know. Um, thought, yeah, I uh, like him a lot. I have Terrell Smith 
cornerback 11. Like if you look around the industry, there's a lot of people I'm in the twenties that kid's getting slept on. And by the way, I think on, on draft weekend, he's going to go higher than people think he's one of those guys where the Vikings don't like, you know, in the scenario we were talking about before, like taking the, you know, for instance, receiver, or if the Daniel Hunter stuff is real, that, that he's pissed off and, then maybe they'd look at an edge rusher, certainly need interior defense. If, if they go a different direction, Terrell Smith is absolutely someone they should think super long and hard about in the third round if he even gets there. But I don't even sure. know if he's going to get to where the Vikings are picking in the third round. Have you – and, and uh, I, I love Terrell Smith, so I, I love the talker there, and I'm glad you mentioned him. One other guy I want to quick mention, and then we'll wrap this up, is um, ha- have you seen much, done much work – uh, on Starling Thomas. Oh yeah. The UAB kid. UAB. Yeah. 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 He's, he's solid. Uh, um, I got him 20. Talk about an athlete. Yeah. Yeah. Like he, so a little bit of smaller side, you know, at 180 in terms of the frame, but yeah, like he was awesome on the field and you were just waiting for the athletic profile. He's been rising up boards for sure. Um, like it's funny. I have him basically where everybody else has Terrell Smith. But like, sure. you know, like I like I have Star- Starling Thomas got one of the reasons that like he sort of flew under the radar up until now is because he, he was another guy that got spurned from the combine. But I got him ranked over numerous cornerback, like higher name cornerbacks that went to the combine. The, it's fine. I'm looking at my sheet right now. The guy that I have ranked right behind him is Eli Ricks. Right. Who like everyone thought was going to be a first round pick a year ago, you know, or whatever, like and they transferred to Alabama, whatnot. But like I like Starling Thomas's game for sure. By the way, UAB played nasty defense and he was yeah. one of the big reasons why absolutely I, I don't mind eli ricks either but i think uh i need to see more from him that's that's my only my that's my only issue ryan are you ready for my eli ricks comp you gotta hear it thought a lot about this one it's 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 one that's near and dear to minnesotans hearts viking country heart can you can you think of someone i might have comp eli ricks to i'm drawing a blank a caleb evans Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah, I can see it, I guess, too. Now, I don't yeah. think he moves around like like some people thought when he was playing across from Stingley on that, that awesome 2019 team. Yeah. He, yeah. he has the same sort of dimensions and sort of the same kind of game as 50th percentile athlete. But, yeah, I mean, he, he's overhyped. I, I think he's going to fall further than people think, you know, based sure. on getting tossed on some of them too early mocks. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of great content. I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, we, we stayed a little longer than I, I think I had promised you earlier, but you know, I really appreciate it. Um, anything that you have coming out over the next week, week and a half that our listeners should go and try to find yet? Too much stuff. If I'm being Too honest, uh, fantasy uh, pros, I'm, ex- you, I'm you excited exclusive to content. It. Yeah. Uh, fantasy pros, betting pros and uh, Twitter Thor KU. Yeah. Well, and, and, uh, for the listeners that are watching or, or listening in on this, make sure you do check out his fantasy pros content. Um, even subscribe. Uh, he's got some really, really good content. He puts out a lot of free stuff, but there's some exclusive content that's out there. That's well worth the money to, to get your, uh, your eyes on, especially during draft season. So Appreciate um, it, brother. again, a lot of respect for you, Thor. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, Everyone, make sure that you like and subscribe. Uh, we're doing a giveaway once we get to 3,000 subscribers. That's a that's badass what our uh, skull sign. So make sure you ch- uh, subscribe, get 
you know, uh, in the drawing for that. I think you're going to really like it. Great piece for your man cave or your Vikings uh, watching zone That guy's area. super talented, by the way. I've seen his stuff on Twitter. Like, I, I yeah. want to be involved in the drawing. Like, he's got six stuff. Well, it's subscribe like and then you it. will be. <laughs> Am I eligible? I'll, 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 you well, are. You are eligible. I, I, what, what if I'm already subscribed? Because I'm already subscribed. No, it, 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 it all counts. We're, we're going to oh, do everybody? a drive okay. from all of our subscribers. So I have a Randy Moss piece Let's coming go. my way. I'm going to be putting up. Wait, the, the, uh, the moon one? I seen his moon one. I didn't do the moon one. Actually, okay. I got one with the big one, throw. And throw, yeah. The thumbs up. Yeah, it's, it's that, it'll be nasty. So That's a sick one, too. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, till next time, everyone, Skull Vikings.